from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And um, we'll be talking this week about developing and connecting cybersecurity leaders uh, with the president of the ISSA Alamo chapter here in the San Antonio area. If you are uh, listening to us on uh, iHeart Streaming or if you're uh, listening to a recording of this in your favorite podcasting service out all across the Internet, there are ISSA chapters um, all across America, actually all across the world, Lee, isn't it? Is that true? Correct. There's a ISSA members in over 100 countries, 100, okay. 157 chapters. Yeah. So I'm joined this week by Lee Karsten, uh, who is the president of the uh, ISSA chapter here where uh, in San Antonio, where CyberTalk Radio is uh, based out of. If you're listening to us on 1200 WAI uh, in your car or uh, on your AM radio in your house or uh, via via the iHeartRadio streaming app on your Android iOS device or in your web browser, uh, thank you for uh, tuning in live Uh this broadcast will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, August the 13th, uh, as well as out there uh, across the uh, Internet to all the different uh, podcasting services. If you have a favorite podcasting service and you do not see our program listed, uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at CyberTalk Radio. Let us know. We will fix that, and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio T-shirt. We've had some folks ask, what's another way to get a T-shirt? It's to be a guest on the program, so guests do get T-shirts. If you've seen them out around town, uh, or at uh, security events, uh, maybe B-Sides or some of the other places uh, where we've had folks on. Uh, those folks with the CyberTalk Radio t-shirts are either a guest or maybe they showed up at our two-year anniversary party as well. I think we did a two-year birthday party over at the Pearl. Uh, so there, we handed out a few t-shirts there. So, uh, Lee, want to just uh, start off real quick uh, with a little bit of your background. Um, who, uh, how did you end up ch- uh, president of the ISSA? We'll cover what the ISSA here is in, in a minute, but how did you get into cybersecurity and, and what drew you into the industry and, and then into serving for a, a community nonprofit? Sure. So, um, I, I, ISSA got me into cybersecurity. I graduated school in the mid-90s with a degree in programming and business from U of A and, and was looking for a programming job and got found by some recruiters, and which ultimately led to me in a 13-year recruiting career. And one of the hospital systems in town needed a security person in the early 2000s. And when I went looking for the community of security people, and that's where I found ISSA. Yeah. So, so you've been a member for, for a long time uh, with the ISSA chapter. Uh, then what uh, convinced you to uh, to commit the extra time to become the president of the chapter? So I've been involved in the board since the early days, at least my early days. Probably about 2005 was my first time on the board, um, helping out with a, with vendor relations and a couple other program areas, um, and then served from 2005 to 2011 um, as in a director role, and then came back in um, 2016 as the president. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for, for your time out there in the community because everyone we have here that uh, can help connect and create those relationships uh, continues to, to build our cybersecurity um, center of excellence that we, we have going in the San Antonio area. So uh, now to take a, a step back, ISSA, it's an acronym, uh, so I was trying to define those on the program for folks. So what does it stand for? How did it get started overall? Sure. So ISSA uh, is the Information System Security Association. It's an international organization, um, and it was founded in 1984 
in the early, early days of security. Um, it was really a place for the folks that were figuring out what security meant um, to meet and gather, share ideas, and help, you know, like build the field. Yeah. So do they have a, the, you guys have monthly meetings here as a, a chapter? Or how do, how do folks meet, get involved? What, what goes on at the, the local chapter level? So, yeah, we, I'm with the Alamo chapter. Uh, we meet quarterly. So we're out at Maggiano's at the Rim. Um, we meet in February, May, August, and November. But we do something every month. So there's, event, there's events throughout the year. Um, our quarterly meetings are half-day events. Start at noon. We've got a Maggiano's lunch, followed by a quick membership meeting, and then three hours of, of you know, subject matter expert talks from both vendors and folks in the community. Uh, and we bring people in. And we've had some pretty interesting talks, you know, like throughout the years. Yeah. And for, for those listening and wondering, uh, it just as, as lawyers need to get continuing legal education, there are many um, security credentials in the cyberspace that require continuing education every year. So uh, this is uh, one of the ways uh, that folks can get that is uh, attending those uh, ISSA chapter meetings and listening to the speakers you all have. Sure. And we really feel like the networking is as big of a part of why people come as as anything else, because in today's world, like you can podcast or there's lots of ways to get the CPEs. Yeah. Years ago, there weren't. Um, but now it's just like the, the people in the room are as big of a draw as the content we provide. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one to to think about is that just the amount of information that's available out there now from folks and this program and, and many others uh, that yeah that certainly wasn't the case even five years ago. Right. Yeah. With, with Twitter, I mean, you could you could get all your CPs from Twitter. <laughs> I might have some fun. So filling that out is uh, on on Twitter is it spent four hours reading cybersecurity tweets on Twitter yeah. and and see what pushback you get from your crediting bodies. Do uh, you ever spend less than four hours on Twitter once you get drug into it? No, that's yeah. it's a dangerous <laughs> place. Um, so the the ISSA here um, it, is how does it um, like I guess we there's probably multiple chapters in Texas does it go up to a region after that or does it just go local chapter for ISSA and then there's the the global organization so it's 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 pretty flat it's chapters and then international there's no regional leadership um, we have started a Texas chapter leaders meeting this year so there's six chapters in Texas and four of the chapters have new presidents. So I pulled, I worked with, you know, like the North Texas, which is the Dallas chapter, um, to start like a, an education session for all the new presidents, just to make sure there was some continuity uh, among and across what we're doing. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. So is there a, uh, an annual or semi every other couple of years, a national conference where ISSA gets together, either they're at like the board and, and, and chapter president level or for all of the members? Yeah, the board meets pretty regularly every quarter. Uh, so the international board, uh, there is an international conference this year. It's in Dallas, so it's coming up in October, uh, the be the beginning of October, and um, and we're we're in the throes of helping organize that right now. Oh, that's uh, great to hear. And uh, I guess good that you uh, got all the presidents in Texas uh, together this year in a a group because then hosting uh, everyone else would be nice for everything to be coordinated here. Yeah, and th there's a chapter leader summit that is the, the day before the event starts, and that's probably one of the more um, beneficial things that I've been to as part of ISSA. Yeah. Uh, so for the uh, ISSA here in San Antonio, kind of what are some of the things um, that the folks may have seen out there in the community that uh, ISSA does from a, a community participation, event organizing, or, or uh, otherwise? 
So one of the first things we did beginning in 2005 was we built out a program to help parents learn about some of the threats that children face on the internet. And it was kind of in response to the, the to catch a predator that was on NBC. So everybody was scared of the, you know, you know, of the, the, the bad person that was going to come take your child. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, like never wasting an opportunity of fear, like good security people do. Um, we use that to go have conversations with parents about what they can do to keep their kids safe. And there were some studies done by Symantec and at Harvard. And what they found was that, you know, bullying and other kids were a bigger problem to kids than, than a predator may have been. Now, if you look at like stride and dread, which are, you know, very standard security, you know, like, um, measurement tools. Yeah. Um, like the likelihood of an attack of, of a bad person taking your child's very low, but the, you know, like it could be really bad if they did. Yeah. So as I, I talk with folks all the time, you're, you're allowed to make mistakes. Just don't make mortal mistakes. Cause you can only make those once and then it's all over. You're dead. Right. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. Same thing in that situation. Yeah. Your, your parents, your child can only get kidnapped once. Like that will be, you'll be miserable for the rest of your life and worried for the rest of your life. Even if you get your child back. One of the scariest stats that came out of that time period was that, the, the kids that met adults that they that they had initially met on the Internet had like 86 percent of the time they had met them more than once. So it, these were relationships and it was there, there was a, a something that they were getting from the adult. Um, and that, that was that was pretty frightening for me to just hear that. And we we talked a lot about that with parents and really a lot about what they could do to have that conversation with their kids. And it was it's not as much even one way because every parent parents a little bit differently, but to give them the tools they needed to go have those conversations and set the ground rules. Yeah. So for some perspective for parents out there, uh, do you give any uh, would you give kids uh, unfettered access to the Internet? Just give them a computer and let them go wherever they want to go. I don't think I would do that, but yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like, like I guess it, de- it, necess- it depends on the kid. Yeah. I mean, this is one with like where I have this conversation with parents. It's like, I, I say, would you take your child and drop them off in the middle of downtown or somewhere area in the city um, and not supervise them? I said like downtown wandering around the streets is not any less dangerous than the internet. There's good safe places to go downtown. There's good safe places to go on the internet. Uh, but if you're a kid and you're unsupervised with no adults, you can get in lots of trouble in both places and you could get yourself injured in both places. Right. So we, that's, that, that's a big point uh, that we try to make with, you know, it's, it's just a risk tolerance and how do you, what is your risk tolerance and how do you mitigate against that? And while we're on the, the topic of kids, one of my favorite things to talk about here on the, the program is uh, Cyber Patriot. Um, how is ISSA involved in uh, our Cyber Patriot um, programs here in San Antonio, the teams in, in your chapter? And then is ISSA involved at the national or global level as well? So we've done a lot at the local level, and it's really be- because of a lot of the work that's been done already. Right. Cyber Texas Foundation and a lot of the folks in town have done so much work to get the Cyber Patriot program where it is, um, what they've asked for from us is mentors. So we've really focused less on building a program and more on building a mentor pool. Um, and that includes traditional mentors that are attached to schools. But we also are building out an SME pool of people that have certain subject matter expertise in, in areas that the Cyber Patriot teams need help with uh, that they can draw from. And then either send them out to those schools you know, have them vetted through the program so that they're, you know, in as a mentor, but they're just not assigned to a school. Uh, and then we either do WebExes or in-person events 
um, to try to help those teams, you know, improve in what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, for those that uh, don't know about Cyber Patriot, it's cybersecurity team sport for middle school and high school. Uh, we have more teams in the San Antonio area than any other metro area in the U.S., uh, thanks to Cyber Texas Foundation and uh, a number of risk-taking um, school administrative uh, staff and teachers in the area that have uh, go- gotten things up and going and then uh, help from the ISSA so that there's enough mentors, which effectively is a coach, uh, or maybe if they're not fully coaching the team, they're there as a kind of special advisor to help the, st- the students learn skills that they need in order to be successful in Cyber Patriot. Uh, we, we sent just this last year three three teams from the area to the, the national finals competition, and that's where uh, they step the level of difficulty up yet again, and, and these teams really do need um, specialized mentor expertise uh, to prepare for that uh, national level competition. So if you're a, a listener out there in the audience and you want to uh, help um, some teenagers get um, the skills that they need to compete at that national finals and maybe help us bring a, another national championship home to uh, San Antonio, uh, please reach out to the ISSA chapter here and go get involved in that mentor program. Uh, and then I think this is a, a one where um, it's a, a great way for kids that aren't going to go out on a physical athletic field to get all of that same team sports competition collaboration. Uh, and frankly, training in cybersecurity is much more useful uh, in your adult life than training in football. Yeah, and I think that there, there's a lot of focus in San Antonio on producing you know, national championships. Uh, and, and that's great, but that's not most of the kids. And I think no. that... Um, th- there are a lot of teams out there with, you know, with like you said, a, a very brave, you know, administrator or teacher that took on that team. Um, and I want to support those teams as much as we do the national championship teams, because like the, the reality is the future for all of those kids is there's work for all of them. Yeah. Um, and let's let's get them plugged in. Let's get that exposure. But like in, where the STEM field sometimes like falls down is like, what do you do once you get a kid that's interested And cyber hatred is a, is a great place that gives them, you know, something to do that's competitive, that's compelling and has real life skills that they can use in their careers if they go into this field. Yeah. And if for, um, school administrators or parents out there, um, wondering, should I do this at my school? Absolutely. Um, cyber Texas foundation will help you get things set up and going, um, you can uh, set up teams for the, the next school year right now. You can still uh, register, get in, and get your teams uh, set up in this. Uh, they play a, a regular number of uh, matches during the season, the same way your, any of your other athletic teams do. Uh, and you can field uh, teams uh, of all female students, all male students, mixed teams. Uh, schools have organized in a number of different ways uh, on their, their team categories uh, as well as if you have an ROTC program, there's categories in the competition for that specifically, but there's also what they call the open category, so it doesn't require, uh, even though it's it, the um, Cyber Patriots associated with the Air Force Association overall, um, it's not something that's limited or restricted to ROTC students. So uh, I'll get off my Cyber Patriot soapbox. Uh, if you did want to learn a whole bunch more about Cyber Patriot, check out our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Go to the episode search, put in Cyber Patriot. You'll see we've had um, some students on from teams. We've had on 
um, the national head of the Cyber Patriot program, uh, talking about how it got started and everything else, and uh, a number of coaches from teams that have started in rural school districts with no support whatsoever and, and have uh, built a great program. Um, and, and many more. So there's uh, plenty of uh, things in our archives there to, to learn about what's going on at um, Cyber Patriot uh, here in the San Antonio area. And uh, for those outside the area listening, um, you can see kind of the, the model and the playbook uh, that you would need in order to build up uh, your city and, and your uh, Cyber Patriot participation in the schools. But we still need more here. There's We have a few hundred teams in San Antonio uh, and the the greater San Antonio area, and we have many more football teams than that here still. And um, Cyber Patriot, like five or six students play on each team, uh, and football teams, 50 or 60 or more students play on each team. So there's still many more kids out there playing football uh, or basketball uh, and versus Cyber Patriot right now, and, and it's one where Cyber Patriot's got a, a much better uh, impact for uh, where your child can go in the future. Uh, and they're going to get all that same team sports uh, aspect out of it. So, uh, Lee, is, is uh, ISSA and other things as we're kind of tacking along with students in education here, uh, any educational opportunities uh, through ISSA for uh, teenagers, for folks that are on, kids that are on Cyber Patriot teams to, to get involved? So ISSA starts at college. So we, we have a student membership available, but it's really for college students. Um, so th that's there. We have discounted pricing for student, student members, $30, $30 for a year. And any, you know, college student in the IT or security space, you know, would be well served to sign up for a $30 membership, come to a meeting or two. You so, know, so wait, if I go to UTSA, I can pay 30 bucks for a year and I get four meals at Maggiano's? Well, you get a membership for that, and the meals are $15 okay. instead of 30 oh, So, so that's, that's, a, that's a great deal. As I say, for 30 bucks for four meals, I think every college student at UTSA and their cyber program is going to be signing up now. <laughs> well, if you want a job after school, then you're going to meet the people that would hire you. They're yeah. at our meeting. So, so like it's it's worth more than $30. It's, it, for it, sure. The ROI on that deal is pretty high. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I mean, that's convenient for uh, where most of those students are just across the freeway. Yeah, and it's it's worked out for us. I mean, like we, we used to meet at Dave and Buster's years ago when we met monthly. Yeah, um, we would have thirty to forty people show up pretty regularly, uh, and uh, we heard a couple things. One is that for all the USA folks, just getting on and off campus. By the time you you know get off campus, get to our meeting, get back on campus, park, and get back to your desk, it's a two and a half hour commitment for a one hour meeting. Yeah. So uh, we also heard that from the folks in the military. So we have a, a number of military members and getting up to, you know, Northwest San Antonio from one of the bases um, is challenging. So we moved to a quarterly format. We've had over 100 people at the, for the last few years at our meetings. It's one of the larger gatherings of security folks in town. Uh, and and we, we're going to be pretty soon at the point where we're capping the meeting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to move from uh, Maggiano's to the Rustic or something and take over the whole venue there. Yeah, well, if we that would be a great problem to have. Yeah. So um, uh, for those uh, student members, uh, any internship opportunities, scholarship opportunities, anything else for those college level student members? Yeah. So ISSA Education Foundation has three scholarships that they give out. But the Alamo chapter also gives out two scholarships and they're only eligible if you're in San Antonio and in a cyber program. So we've got active applications right now. If um, any students are interested, you can go to the ISSA Education Foundation's website at issaef.org, and you can find out about our scholarships and sign up and apply right now. 
So that could be a really great return on your 30 bucks. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, we've got a, a $1,500 scholarship for a four-year program student and a $500 scholarship for a two-year program student. Oh, that's great. Um, and then, so you have individual members, both in the working professionals and at the college student level. And then do you have um, corporate sponsor partners, members, like does ISS, does a company like USAA join overall? So we get a lot of support from USA, but there's not a, a particular category of like a, like a company sponsor of ISSA. Um, we have a number of cor- corporate partners uh, that have been with us for a long time and others that are like kind of come and go. And as, as you see this security industry move, like, you know, some of the new players will show up. And but like folks like DDI, they've been a, a, a gold sponsor for our chapter for over eight years. And like there, there is so much that we do that we re- we really depend on them, uh, on our our corporate sponsors, uh, to help us support the things that we support. Yeah. If, uh, so DDI is a digital defense uh, here in San Antonio. If you you wanted to learn what a drop test was, if you don't know what one uh, is, uh, we had Tom Desat. Uh, from the digital defense team on the program. Uh, and you can uh, hear some good story time there from, from Tom about uh, all sorts of uh, cyber-related things, and you can learn what a drop test is, because if you uh, don't know, you should know. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm joined by Lee Karsten, the president of the ISSA Alamo chapter here in San Antonio. And we've been uh, discussing all things uh, ISSA here the first half of the program. If you uh, just hopped in your car right now or uh, joined us on iHeartRadio streaming uh, via your iPhone, Android device, or on their website at iHeartRadio.com, thank you for tuning in. Uh, You can listen to this episode in full on Tuesday. August 13th. Uh, it'll go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com and it'll go out on all the podcasting services across the internet. And uh, Lee, I guess this is a uh, good timing as well. So we've talked about your quarterly uh, chapter meetings for ISSA. When's that next one coming up? So our next meeting is on August 20th. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you're listening here on Saturday night, uh, it's 10 days out from the meeting, you could join, become a member and head to that next meeting and get involved. If you uh, are listening to us uh on that podcast here between August 13th, 2019 and August 20th, 2019, still time to register, sign up and, and get involved. Absolutely. So, yeah. and, and you don't have to sign up as a member to come to a meeting we, like guests are allowed and we certainly encourage it. So just come check it out. Um, sign up at alamo.issa.org. Um, go to the meetings page and there's a click uh, link for Eventbrite. You can get signed up. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll link that up on our social posts as well. So if you um, are in your car right now driving, don't stop and write that down while you're, well, stop and write that down, but don't drive and try to text that to yourself. Uh, just check out CyberTalk Radio on Facebook or Twitter. You'll see the, those links up there posted uh, on our social profiles. Uh, so as we uh, are here uh, heading into uh, the uh, bottom of the hour break, uh, the second half of the program, uh, Lee's going to come back and we're going to talk about a, a project he was involved in. Uh, called The Tribe of Hackers. It's a, a book, uh, covers a whole bunch of different things. So we'll let him uh, tell that full story here uh, as we uh, continue here after the bottom of the hour break for news, traffic, and weather. If you uh, are listening via podcast, uh, we're not going to include the new traffic and weather. Uh, we've found it's not so useful for folks to find out what the weather was uh, on some day back in history. There's websites where you can go look that up. You don't need to listen to half of our podcast to find it out. So Lee, for those folks that aren't going to be able to stick with us, uh, got a minute here. What's the, the, the high level teaser for the uh, tribe of hackers that uh, will convince them to stick with us? 
So Tribe of Hackers is a project that was started by Marcus Carey, who used to run Rapid Sevens Community in Austin. So he, he had start a startup that he had put together and was just working with a lot of folks in the, in the business and um, is doing a lot to help people break in and get into the security field. So he was asking a bunch of us questions about how we got in and it ultimately became a book. Yeah. So it's a it, it's a project about you know what what p- different people are doing and it's it's he brought a, a real diverse group of folks folks that you have seen and heard of before and folks that you haven't. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, the tagline on the front of the book uh, says cybersecurity advice from the best hackers in the world. So it's a uh, an interesting compilation that we will talk more uh, about here when we return with CyberTalk Radio on twelve hundred WAI after this news traffic and weather update. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And I'm joined this week by Lee Karsten, the president of the ISSA Alamo chapter in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, he's been a, an ISSA member for... Have you been a member for 20 years? Since 2002. Since so, 2002, yeah. almost. Sneaking yep. up on it. Yep. Do you get like a, a 20-year member commemorative pin or anything? No, we, we are doing a 20th anniversary event in January, though. That should okay. be cool. That'll be yeah. cool. Yeah, so if uh, you uh, just turned on your radio right now, uh, one of the, the um, ISSA is a association of uh, security, cybersecurity professionals. Uh, they meet quarterly here in the San Antonio area. Uh, their next quarterly meeting is coming up on August the 20th, 2019. Uh, what's the website where folks could look up that uh, event? So it's on alamo.issa.org. There you go. Uh, check that out. Sign up. Uh, it'll be a half a day there where you get to network with oh, maybe 100 other folks in the San Antonio community and uh, discuss cybersecurity for an afternoon while eating some good Italian food. Magianos is not a sponsor of the program. We don't have any sponsors uh, on purpose because that way we can just have good conversation. But I will plug them. It is good Italian food. One of the, the things that we had uh, told the folks before that break, we were going to talk about Tribe of Hackers. So this is a, a book um, that you ended up in uh, as a, one of the kind of uh, profiles in here. And so tell some uh, for our folks the, the longer version of this story. How did this come about and uh, like what's the, the mission of the book and how did you end up in it? So that's that's um that's a good question. Tribe of Hackers was something that Marcus Carey put together, and Marcus is uh, used to run Rapid Sevens Community, former Navy guy, security guy for many many years, and um, you know speaks at all kinds of stuff. You know, very well known in, in the security community. So he was he he was asking people how they got into the industry and was doing a lot of work with non traditional. Um, cybersecurity people so like women and people of color and helping them break in um, he started a company to help you know like hire more people like that and, yeah. you know, and get them into the business uh, and the book really evolved out of the work that he was already doing so as I, I look at the the book here so and all the proceeds in this are all going to a number of nonprofits right there's four nonprofits listed in the tribe of hackers website that that the the first iteration of the book are going to 
Um, now, what happens is Wiley picks it up. I'm not sure what, what's moving forward. Plan. Yeah, the, the authors can figure out what they want to do with their share. Right. The publisher will make some money out of it at that point. Uh, but yeah, so on there, one of the nonprofits I see is Bunker Labs, uh, which uh, we've had some uh, folks from the Bunker Labs chapter uh, here in Texas uh, on CyberTalk Radio. For those that don't know about Bunker Labs, great organization helping uh, military folks transition out and uh, become entrepreneurs, start tech-related businesses uh, in the after they're no longer in the uh, active duty service side of things. So uh, great to see some support going to that and to some of the uh, the guests of our program here. Uh, so wh- when when did uh, did he call you? How did you end up um, getting yourself into to one of the profiles in here? So uh, books take time to write. And, uh, and Marcus came in and spoke in an ISSA meeting two years ago. And it was like around that time. And he talked to me about the project. And then couple weeks later I got you know like a, f- a phone call asking if I'd be interested in helping out and I said sure like I'd, if there's you know if I can contribute I'd love to help out so with without uh, giving away too much of uh, the whole story of the book we'll talk a little bit about your section but I have a whole bunch of amazing profiles in here and um, as I, I read through yours uh, as we we started working before the show um, some serious questions but also some some fun questions as well so um, there was uh, one in there that talked about uh, Ocean's Eight uh, in your your section of the book. So what's the what's the story on that? Well, the question was about what's your favorite hacker movie. Yeah, right. And I was trying to pick a. Uh, you, you don't get to see everybody else's responses as you're answering these. Yeah, you know, and I don't want to answer like one of the, the you know the Me Too questions. War games. That, yeah, that yeah, everybody's gonna pick <laughs> all of everyone from our generation. War games was your favorite <laughs> hacker movie. The sneakers, like there's <laughs> yeah. like there's plenty of. You know, like, and you can get that question wrong too. Apparently, if you go out to Twitter, um, yeah. you know, it's 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 easy to get that one wrong. Yes. Um, but I I work with a guy named Adam Bixby in New York that does a lot of um, technical work in the movie business. And before the Ocean's Eight ever came out, we were talking about you know what he was doing and 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 all of the code in Ocean's Eight is actual code that ran. You know, like all the exploits work; they're real exploits. So when Rihanna's hacking away. Um, you know, she's got real exploits. That's good. Yeah, no, it's because uh, uh, there were some, I think, where, where Hollywood got um, really um, ridiculed by the, the tech industry. I mean, like the infamous scene at this point, the Jurassic Park, where the the girl sits down in front of the computer where she's trying to get stuff back online. And she sits in front of it and says, this is a Unix system. And then she's flying over a series of boxy looking buildings. Um for those out in the listening audience that have never worked on a Unix system, I suppose you could render something like that in X Windows um, and make some flying boxy thing. That's not how you actually administrate a Unix system. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like that that one's pretty infamous uh, in the, the communities that went around. And there have been some other movies that have made um, things, you know, errors even worse than that from my perspective. Uh, that one was maybe a little bit of artistic cuteness over actual accuracy. But other ones have just put up stuff, as you said, code that's just flat out wrong. Yeah, just made up things. So um, what were some of the other fun questions as you, you go through anything you remember on that profile? So the first question that, that was asked was what was one myth you could debunk in the cybersecurity field? And I really feel like the notion that we just need a, a million more cyber people to show up and like we're going to fix the problem was was one of the things that I I see as a misnomer, right? I think that what's happening in our space is that more and more of the security function is being built by service providers and as cloud services and is being consumed differently for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Uh, and, and like there, there's power in 
the visibility you gain as a service provider across multiple enterprises. So there's things you can do that you can't do just as a private organization. So as that function moves, you know, like changes where it, it technically lives, having a bunch of Splunk engineers on site at your at company ABC doesn't like make things more secure. No. And it, there will be th there are cases you can make, you know, and the for the for the Fortune 100 and the very largest most sophisticated shops, they're going to do a lot more themselves. Yeah. But for everybody else, um, the scale of the cloud and, and what what the community and the service providers can provide is going to change how security is consumed. So like the, the jobs of tomorrow aren't necessarily just a million more jobs of today. I think we're definitely seeing a changing landscape uh, in the, the cybersecurity world. The, the days of a, a kind of traditional, I'll call it cybersecurity tier one SOC analyst that's looking at the flow of, of events off of an information log, having to do basic correlation of, is this low, medium, or high priority event something that actually needs to get triggered up to create an investigation? Um, folks are going to move beyond that to just actually working investigations. Uh, and the events are going to get correlated, and, and maybe even the first level of the investigation is going to get done by a software system that's going to be able to, to trace back through many steps. Uh, and then as you move out to that service provider world, if company A gets exploited under certain attack pattern, um, if I'm a service provider, I can feed that attack pattern into my platform and start looking for that on other companies that, uh, that I'm serving uh, as customers. Or I, if, and, and if I don't see it as well, I can add a rule to stop that pattern before it ever breaches company B, C, D, or E. Um, so definite evolution. Uh, now, I mean, I think we do need a million more cybersecurity people, but not doing the same jobs that were getting done yesterday. Right, and I think business acumen is a big piece of that too. I mean, understanding the business that you operate within and, and, and understanding what matters for that business is is as important as the technical aspects of what you're what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is it's cybersecurity is really for for those listening that are not in the middle of the the weeds of our industry. This is about technical risk mitigation. So. Um, just like as, as a business, you um, for physical security, you might have an alarm on your building. You might have security cameras up. You might have security cards driving around the yard. You should be thinking about your digital security the same way and doing things to mitigate the risk. But you're, uh, I mean, I can count on one hand, I think, the number of businesses in San Antonio that have for physical security have a man trap on the building. Um, for those that don't know what that is, it's where you badge into one side and you're locked in a room. Second door. Well, you're locked in a room and you're not allowed to actually even, in some of them, go back out either of the doors until somebody else badges, like verifies you're you and then allows you either in or out or turns you over to some authorities. So like physical security wise, people don't do that because they're consuming time consuming and, and resource inefficient. Most businesses don't need that level of physical security in and out of their building. So, yeah, from a cybersecurity perspective, same thing applies. If you're just doing technological whiz-bang stuff all the time, uh, you can make people's lives more complicated and um, spend money on things that are not really needed to mitigate the risks uh, appropriately inside of the organization. Right. I think that the, the, the interesting thing or the, the fun thing about what's next is that there's a lot that we can do, right? And just some of the investments in San Antonio that are being made around analytics and, you know, and like, you know, what AI really means to security. Um, now, I think that, that AI has, a, a, the attackers have a huge advantage when it comes to that. Um, and it, it's going to make securing things much harder yeah. as that develops. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, my 
uh, this is one I've talked about a number of times in the program. So for for those uh, that have listened, uh, this AI topic, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm real worried about it because AI requires computing resources. If you're a good guy, you actually have to buy the computers and pay for the resources. If you're a bad person, you can compromise other people's computing resources and use their GPUs and use their electricity. So if I have 10 million computers that I've compromised, I can do a lot of, of training of an artificial intelligence system across 10 million computers. Um, there's not a, a single enterprise uh, in the U.S. that has 10 million GP, GPUs training an AI model right now. Um, even the, the size of the Microsofts and Googles and Amazon, they're not running 10 million GPU clusters. But if I'm a hacker and I've compromised 10 million gaming computers across the globe, 10 million home PCs, I could have 10 million GPUs cranking away on on my training models. Uh, so, I mean, this AI arms race is a, a real mess because bad guys don't have to pay for resources. And that's just one scary aspect of it. So uh, on that, there's a, a question in your, your profile related to paying for stuff. Like, oh, So uh, you mentioned biggest bang for the buck. Like what's one thing that every organization should probably be doing because it's super easy to implement, kind of no drawbacks and it's not costly. So in the book, I talked about trusted DNS. Yeah. I have another answer today. Okay. Um, I think it is, it is data retention and looking at what data you have in your organization and getting rid of the stuff you don't need anymore. Yeah. Um, because like it, we're seeing in my day job, I do a lot of incident response work and you know, there's a lot of data that lives in multiple variations and it's the same data replicated over and over. Um, and somebody thought it was gone and it's still there. Yeah. Um, and so like, like that, like to an attacker, it's still the data. Yeah. Yeah. The data doesn't, the attacker doesn't care. I mean, if they break into your organization and let's say they found your customer list from nine months ago, then it's got a whole bunch of personal information about all those customers. That's fine to them. They don't care. It was an export that you did some analytics reporting on nine months ago. That's just as good as getting today's out of your, your actual active customer database. Um, there might be a little bit of stuff that's changed, but chances are even if there were credit cards in that thing from nine months ago, many of those credit cards are still going to be valid today. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really knowing where you have data, what it is, and that why are you keeping it, how long are you keeping it for, how long are you legally required to keep it, and kind of an information management policy um, is a, a great way to uh, add security to an organization without having to go building new tools. You just have to start reducing your attack surface. Right, and if you are required to keep it, you can keep it in an offline mode. Right. It doesn't have to be on your network if you're not using it all the time. So kind of tying into this. So one of the other things you, you were asked about here. So um, everyone's spending more money on cybersecurity uh, these days. We can see all the stats, budgets everywhere. They're going up. The percentage of IT spend on, on security is increasing. The percentage of spend overall at companies on technology is increasing. Um, it, as that's all happening, we're seeing more and more data breaches and and um consumer privacy breaches and all of these sorts of things uh, happening and being announced in the news. To, we go back, I guess, like the big target data breach was now six or seven years ago. And you would think that in that type of life cycle, everyone would have said, oh, wow, that was really damaging. Let's just go ahead and hire some people, fix all these things. We'd be done and we wouldn't have to spend any more money on security and we wouldn't have any more breaches at this point. But more money's getting spent and we're still getting more breaches. So, well, I thought the Ashley Madison breach was going to be the one that like that, that, that really stopped it all. everything. Yeah. yeah. No, just because of the impact of the boardroom, right? Like there was yeah. like a personal responsibility and, 
you know, like lots of like come to Jesus moments for those like folks on the list. Um, but it, th- but that didn't do it. Yeah. So I don't know what will this. So do you have any theories on like why we're spending more money and still getting it's, it's becoming maybe not as effective as it should be? Well, I think that the, the, the security guy answer is that attacks evolve, right? Attackers are getting smarter. Yeah. Um, and that with, with more data and more systems and more attack service, you know, they've got to be right once. We just have to be right every other time. Yeah. Playing, playing blue team is hard. Playing red team is much easier. Yeah, like it, the, the red teamers would argue with that, right? Because the yeah. red, like there are pretty sophisticated red teams. And, and the Tribe of Hackers book is actually got a red team edition that's coming out. So cool. that's interesting segue yeah. that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but the the one I uh, other one I see in the big shift over the last decade as well is if you, you go back, you used to have to in order to um, use tools to break into systems, you had to know how to write those tools yourself or really know how to assemble and set them up. And nowadays, there's commercial hacking software available um, that's being bought by criminals and it's for sale to criminals. So now you just need. A computer, internet access, some money, and no ethics, and you can be up and running uh, as a cyber hacker in a fairly sophisticated way these days. Versus uh, even just a decade ago, it you you actually needed to have some hacking skills, and you needed to have no ethics to be a, a bad person. Uh, but now the hacking skills are optional. Yeah, you you also need to be in a country with that doesn't have an extradition policy with the U.S. Yeah, and and yeah, that's or any of the other developed nation countries. They don't participate uh, in the the global enforcement organization or any of those things. So, not only just no extradition, but um, no cooperation. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a, a challenging landscape now uh, on on that for sure. So, so I've got a perspective that may be a little bit different. Yeah, um, in like working for the company I work for in the like cyber insurance space. Um, I get to live at the intersection of legal risk, risk management, and the technical function and and help with that conversation a lot. Um, And so like boards are looking for accountability now. I think that the blank check days are, are, we're at the tail end of that. Um, And management wants to see what the ROI is on some of this spend. So it was a little bit wild west for a while. And now like I I even see, I guess my, my fear is that some of this security decision making is being made outside of the room that any security people are in? Yeah. So, like, like what what I've made my mission is to make sure that the security folks in an organization are in the room as those conversations are happening because the business folks are kind of taking that away. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one as well. We've talked uh, with some other guests in the program about the reporting structure, um, and and still in in many of the Fortune 500s, the chief information security officer reports to the chief information CIO. officer um so and and if you go look at the employment contracts for those cios and many of them because they're a, a named executive uh, at the company uh that they work for those contracts are out there in the sec website and you can go pull them up and read them those cios are bonused on application uptime they're bonused on uh, application new projects getting rolled out they're bonused on the revenue growth of the company or profitability targets um they're not bonused and some a few more are starting to have this but they're not bonused on the security things so now if you go down to that chief information security officer their compensation and bonus and pay and everything is generally tied to the company not getting hacked um, so you have a, a boss who's getting bonuses for moving fast um, and getting things done and you have a, a you and if you were at CISO working for that CIO 
it puts you in an awkward spot because in order for you to achieve your bonus targets, you may be blocking your boss from achieving theirs, and um, that never works out well. Yeah, and, and it's I mean it's brakes on the car, right? Yeah. Like, like race cars have really good brakes, so like to move fast, you've got to have good brakes. Yeah. So uh, for for organizations um, that are at this maturity point, they've spent a bunch of money in, in cybersecurity over the last few years. They've not gotten the the, the return for it. Um, is there something just like inherently you've seen like a, a pattern where people are doing things that you looking back now, kind of being able to armchair quarterback the history that you think that, that they could do differently with where that spend went or how they allocated or what they did? Um, I'm seeing less people worried about what they've done in the past as a like a, a naval, you know, gazing exercise. But certainly, you know, looking at what are we going to do moving forward? Um, and some of that is like a risk transfer conversation. Um, but but other it's really about quantification. And, you know, how, how does the the how do the controls that we put in place reduce risk by dollars? Because dollars is the language of business and the security folks have got to get their arms around talking about like the dollar impact of the programs they're building. Yeah. So um, secure uh, so this one's not in your your question here, but I feel like this one should have been in the book. So we're just going to ask. Okay. Uh, so security versus compliance or security and compliance. Are they the same thing? Are they different? Uh, what are your, th- your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, I would even say governance, right? Because governance is the compliance word for the legal folks. So um, I think compliance and governance drive more security spending than anything else. Yeah. So it's like smart security leaders leverage compliance programs and governance programs to go get security done um but it doesn't it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive and it doesn't have to be a an argument it really is like let's just leverage those the the regulatory regimes that we have to operate under um to go do good security yeah so you're you're saying is hide an actual security program underneath the compliance program that you have to run well i think pci's done more for security than anything else yeah um and so for yeah for those listening that's the payment card industry and it's a uh, private sector got together the the merchant banks and the card processors and all of the merchants um, and put together a set of security controls that everyone follows to try to keep credit card data safe. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. I think it's made people do a lot of of sort of basic activities. But when I, I talk to cybersecurity companies and they say we're selling security and compliance both, my my view is that the compliance buyer is looking to check a box for as cheap as possible so satisfy that control for the least amount of money and somebody who's actually trying to secure something is trying to buy something that will actually keep things safe so it's like if i I think about let's say just insurance on my my house and if if my insurance gives me a deductible on my homeowners for having an alarm I'm not going to buy the best alarm. I'm going to buy the cheapest alarm. But if I actually wanted to keep my my family safe in the event of an attack, I want an alarm that's got a great response time that will drop steel bars to protect my windows. Like I would do different things to actually keep my family safe inside of a house probably than having an alarm if I just wanted to meet the requirement of my homeowner's insurance. Well, so what's happening in the insurance business to follow that analogy is that that it's not binary, right? And the, the, the insurers are not asking, do you have an alarm, yes or no? They're going to say, do you have fire alarms? You know, yeah. do, you have, do you have smoke detectors? Are they monitored? Yeah. Do you have glass break? Is it monitored? Like they're, like they're getting more granular in what they're asking because the programs are evolving and there's, there, there's better coverage available today. 
Yeah. So I, I guess that's the, where the insurers are catching and figuring out that now it's it's not binary from a compliance perspective. Hopefully we get the regulators there as well. I think there should be grades on on these compliance controls. When you meet them, it shouldn't be pass or fail on every single control, which is pretty much what I've seen on in my career on, on the way that these controls get evaluated. Well, there, there are organizations looking for like the FICO security score for companies. Yeah. Right? There, there's a number of businesses out there that are building models that, you know, that, that give you a number um, that the, the, your bosses in the other industries can look at and, you know, determine like what your coverage is going to be, how much premium you're going to pay, um, and, and whether you're a good business partner to do business with. Yeah. So uh, kind of wrapping up on this uh, cybersecurity um, and the Tribe of Hackers book, uh, if folks wanted to get a copy of the book, are they sold out of this edition? So what's happened is that it was a self-published book for the first six months. Um, and it, the, it had so much success that some of the publishers that initially said no um, came, came back to Marcus and said, like, what, what do we got to do to you know, make this work? So it's being republished by Wiley. I believe it's out on August 13th, the day that this podcast goes live uh, on Amazon as the, the original Tribe of Hackers. And it's a five book series. The second book that's going to be coming out at the same time is the Red Team Edition. And it should be fantastic. It looks really good. Yeah. So uh, you've been listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WI. If you uh, just joined us uh, in your car or on your iHeartRadio streaming app, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. If you have been listening to this via podcast uh, or uh, streaming off of our website or YouTube channel, thank you very much. Uh, you can learn more at www.cybertalkradio.com about um, all, all of that. Uh, you can learn more uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com about uh about our, our past programs uh, and other guests and uh, maybe we'll try to look up in the tribe of hackers and see uh, how many other folks uh, have appeared on the program that ended up in uh, either the first book here or that red team one that's coming out thank you uh, very much for joining us lee i appreciate it yeah it was wonderful <laughs>